Hey guys, good to see you today. So glad you're hanging out with us. And uh, if this is your first time, shoot us an email. Uh, let us know you're watching. Uh, let us know who you are, how we can pray for you. I'm just so glad you're hanging out with us, joining us online today. To a lot of you out there, I heard from a lot of you this last week, uh, thank you so much for your kind birthday wishes as I celebrated my 39th birthday. I appreciate that. And I'm actually not 39, but thank you anyways. And then to many of you, many of you who sent me emails and communicated with me in different ways of different movie recommendations that I could watch with my wife, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You, my friend, are not helpful. <laughs> but I appreciate the different recommendations. I'm not telling my wife about any of them. All right? Hey, here's what I want. Bible, Romans 12. Romans 12. This is where we're going to be today. Lay that in your lap. Something to take some notes with. Pastor Aiden and I want to begin a six-week conversation. Drive us right into Memorial Day weekend. Right into Memorial Day weekend. And we want to talk about this, life together. We want to talk about life together. Now today, all I want to do is going to introduce this topic, right? So I want to do with you. And so when we get done today, it's going to be like, he's not done because I ain't. Because it's a six-week conversation. Want to take it the whole way to Memorial Day weekend. One of our values here at Grace Church is this. We share life together. We cannot live without honest relationships. We are resolved to figure out how to love God, love each other, and live on mission together. That's our value. That's, that's what, something that drives us. And that sounds great, but the truth is, the problem is, it's not many of our reality. Even people in church. It's not our experience. And I would say tons of people go to church, don't experience this. Tons of people maybe even come here to church, don't experience this. Like just going to church doesn't mean you experience this. Uh, we actually live in a world that's trying to figure out how to do life together. About 8 billion people, and we can't figure out how to do life together. Over 10,000 wars. The last uh, 3,500 years, there's been 268 years of peace, right? We're not really doing that great at figuring out how to do life together in a peaceable way. Live in a country of 335 million people trying to figure out how to do life together. We still got shootings and uh, uh, racial tension, political polarization, all kinds of things. We can't figure out how to do life together. And then tons of people even find themselves in church today, in church, disappointed because this is not their reality. And maybe that's you. That's where we get to the book of Romans because there's this deep longing inside of each of us. You have it, I have it, to be known and loved. For someone to know you and love you. To be known, Tim Keller said this in one of his books, to be known and loved. Here's what he said. To be loved and not known, that's superficial. To be known and not loved, that's everybody's greatest fear. But to be known and loved is a lot like what we receive from God in the gospel that he knows us completely and he loves us. And that's why when you get to the book of Romans, which Paul is writing the book of Romans to real people at a real time, trying to figure out how to do life together, and they're struggling. He wants to talk to them about that. And Romans 1 through 11, the first 11 chapters, Paul's taking a deep dive into the gospel of Jesus Christ and its implications. And he says things like this in Romans 3, there's not a single one of us who is not a sinner, not a single one of us who's completely and perfectly lived up to God's standard. Doesn't matter who you are, grew up in church, 
First time in church, doesn't matter, right? But then he says this, Romans 5, that God demonstrated his incredible love for us that while we were sinners, not when we got all cleaned up, Christ died for us in our place. He paid the debt that we owe. Why? Because Romans 6 says, the wages of my sin left to myself is death, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God, it's an act of grace and love and mercy, is eternal life in Jesus Christ my Lord. So that Romans 8, when I say yes to Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? He took my condemnation. Which leads to Romans 10, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. I hope that you've said yes to Jesus. God loves you. Jesus died for you in your place. He paid your debt. You can stop this right now and say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. And today, I want to confess that I'm a sinner. And I want to confess you as my Savior and Lord. You see, that's Romans 1 through 11. And then when you get to chapter 12, here's what he says. He says, therefore, in light of all of that, I urge you, therefore, in light of everything we just talked about, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which is Romans 1 through 11, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. We'll come back to that here in a second. But be transformed. Don't conform, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. When I get there, I always think of this. How many of y'all out there like to sled ride? <laughs> Raise your hand, right? It used to, maybe when you were a kid. How many of you like to do it in April? Man, this last week, if you're in Ohio, you're like, ah, maybe we're gonna break the sleds back out, right? Yeah, I, when I was a kid, I used to like sled ride. I grew up in the mountains of Pennsylvania. And uh, I was privileged to be able to uh, live somewhere where, man, we had great sled riding hills. And right outside my door, I had a really, really good one. And other kids would use that. And so it was not unusual. By the time you got to the top of that hill, the kids had been riding down there. And usually what happened is they, they would blaze a trail and that trail will become well-worn, packed down, icy, man. And no matter how hard you might try to go a different way, your sled eventually got in the rut and boom, you'd take off. You might try to go a different way, but eventually it was so worn, that pattern was so worn, they'd been sledding so much on that hill that your sled would find that and zoom, you would go. There was one problem, and I found this out in the most unpleasant way one time when I was sledding. That that path, they always, the path would always same way, straight down that hill, straight down. It was the easiest path. Everybody else went that path. Here was the problem. That path led right to, ready, an immovable object, <laughs> which happened to be my garage. And no matter how hard I tried, one time I was, I, was, I was sliding down that hill on my sled, and I even jumped off, but I kept going just as fast, and I face-planted right into that garage. It did not move. <laughs> Separated my shoulder, man, I was miserable. You see, I was in the, the path, and that's where it led. Paul's saying, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And here's what he's saying. You can apply this broadly, and I've heard this preached many times, applied, applied broadly. 
But here in Romans 12, it is a picture of a well-worn path of life together as experienced in this broken world and generation after generation keep riding the sled of their relationships down the same mountain, running into the same garages, immovable objects. And Romans 12 through 14 is this picture of a reimagined path that leads to a transformed way of doing life together. We, we got to do some background work to set up for our conversation. To understand how we got here, we got to zoom out so we can zoom in. So you're in Romans 12. Let's zoom out and then zoom back in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the story begins. So zoom out, story of God. He filled the, the sky with stars, the sun, planets. He filled the earth with plants, flowers, trees. He created animals, birds, and fish. And then... Then, here's what the story says, he made man. But something interesting here that, that sometimes gets missed. Then God said, if you write in your Bible, he says, let what? Say it out loud. Us make mankind in what? Our image. There's a secret here. He says, us, our. Who in the world is he talking to? In the beginning, there was God. And he's like, let us. This tells us something important about God that'll help us understand why this longing inside of us for relationships. And that is this, that God has existed eternally in relationship. That he is a relational God. That he is a God, one God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's called the Trinity. And that for eternity, God the Father has loved the Son and the Spirit. For eternity, God the Son has loved the Father and the Spirit. For eternity, God the Spirit has loved the Father and the Son. C.S. Lewis called this the eternal dance of the deity. But here's the point for our conversation. That relational God created man, mankind, in his own image. And so life together is a result of being created in the image of a relational God. He is a personal God who created us out of his love, not his loneliness. I've heard people say this, God created us, you know why? He was lonely and he needed some company. No, he didn't. That's not the case. He has existed in perfect community and he created us not out of his loneliness, but he created us out of his love. And he created us to invite us into this eternal and divine dance that he's always existed in. Now, what's interesting is this. You get to Genesis 2, we see that it's kind of this retelling of Genesis 1. That he created Adam. And after he created Adam, we are introduced to man's first dilemma. Do you know what man's first dilemma is and was? Some of you are saying sin, right? I can almost hear you, right? It's not it. His first dilemma was this. Remember, God's creating him. It is not what? Good. Everything else so far has been good up to this point in the creation story. For what? The man to be what? Alone. It wasn't good. 
So what am I gonna do? I'm gonna make a helper suitable for him. He's like, not good. He's been created for life together. And so his aloneness was not good. So he created Eve. And the picture is there is this unbelievable picture of life together. God and man walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Man and woman living naked in the garden, enjoying life together, right? Reflecting God's glory, multiplying his goodness, enjoying relationship with God and with each other. It begs a question though today, let's just think about this for a minute. The first dilemma of man makes sense to us, he was alone. So God creates woman and now they're together. But that dilemma that Adam faced, and we understand why he did, he's alone in the garden, is a dilemma we continue to face and we are surrounded with people. Do you ever think about that? Cigna Insurance Company, Global Health Service Company, released their findings on loneliness. Here's what they said, just some things. I'm just kind of, that loneliness is a public health crisis. Uh, Loneliness, social isolation can be as damaging, they said, to health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is associated with the risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. In their same findings, they found that Generation Z, the younger generation, was the loneliest of the generation. For some of you, you you feel the darkness of loneliness right now. You're watching this. You can be in a crowd, feel lonely. You can be married, and some of you are, and you feel lonely. You can have lots of acquaintances, feel lonely. Some of you are successful, yet lonely. Some of you are popular, and yet lonely. Tons of friends and followers, maybe on Facebook, but you would say, I'm lonely. Swiss psychiatrist Paul Turner said this, loneliness is the most devastating malady of this age. Uh, Some very famous people, Judy Gardland, remember her? Wizard of Oz. If I'm a legend, then why am I so lonely? How about this? Uh, Famous actor of You've Got Mail, right? The cinema has the power to make you not feel lonely even when you are. It's interesting. How about this? Uh, Albert Einstein, smart. It's strange to be so universally known and yet be so lonely. How about this guy? Tragic death. I used to think that the worst thing was to end up all alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel all alone, to be surrounded by people who make you feel this. And how about this um, lady who spent her time with those people in the poorest of conditions? Loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. You see, loneliness, man's first dilemma, is something that's pervasive today. I think it's Great Britain. They actually appointed a minister of loneliness. It was so pervasive. How did we get here? Because when God created, we were created for life together. There was this beautiful enjoyment, relationship with God and with each other. But when you read the story, the beautiful picture in the garden gets interrupted rather quickly. God gives the man and his wife the freedom to enjoy the whole garden. There's one tree in the garden they can't eat from, and here's what Satan does. He comes and convinces them that God is holding out on them. 
By the way, that is the great lie of Satan, the enemy, that somehow God is holding out. So what do they do? They eat from the tree and everything changes. Look what it says, Genesis 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And here's what they did. They hid now from him among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. But the Lord called to them, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, <laughs> You see this? He's like, she, she made me do it. The woman. The woman. And then he's blaming God. So he's like, She and you. The woman. And you put her here. She gave me some of the fruit and I ate it almost like I didn't have a choice. Do you see the main consequence? Don't miss this, guys. It's going to help you understand life together in the world in which we live. The main consequence, the main result, the main symptom, the fruit of the sin of man is fractured and broken relationships, broken intimacy. This helps me make sense of where we're at in the rest of the story when it comes to life together. If you're taking notes, I'd write it down this way. That sin fractures life together. Because when we read the story, man is now hiding from the God that he used to walk in the cool of the day with, the one who created him. That man is covering up from the woman who was created from him. And the picture now is more like this. That what was enjoyed is now fractured the intimacy is interrupted the security is forfeited to fear and now instead of enjoying each other you know what they're doing they're blaming each other he's blaming the woman he's even blaming god here's what happens guys what happens is a pattern begins to develop in our world that impacts and infects our relationships and all of humankind begins to ride their sled down this particular path. Mankind has been sledding down this well-worn path ever since. Which helps me understand what Paul is saying here when he says this. He says, I don't want you to be conformed to the pattern of this world. You ever think about the pattern of this world when it comes to relationships? How about this? Let me just give you some suggestions. It's a well-worn path that somehow believes God is holding out on us. That the good life involves God. Many of you say it involves God, but it's not found in God. Like, somehow I want God to be part of my life, but I don't want God to be my life. This well-worn pattern of this world is a well-worn path of superficial relationships and acquaintances. Like we measure our relationships on how many likes we have on Facebook, how many retweets there are. It's easy to go up to somebody and say, love you, bro, walk away, and not think anything of them. It's a well-worn path of individualism where I look out for number one because if you don't, nobody else will. It's a well-worn path of narcissism where although we are lonely people, we're full of ourselves. We filter everything how it affects me. You know the story of um, narcissism comes from a young man, 
right? It's a, it's a poem, an early Roman poem that was so enthralled with himself that he could not quit staring at himself, right? He could not quit staring at himself and eventually he died. He died simply staring at himself, ignoring all else and all other needs. And you say to yourself, wow, that's an extreme case until we realize in our culture, we have our own versions of narcissism. David Foster Wallace says this, everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe, the realest, most vivid, and most important person in existence. We rarely think about this sort of natural, basic self-centeredness because it's so socially repulsive, but it's pretty much the same for all of us deep down. It's our default setting, hardwired into our boards at birth. I would agree, it's the path. Think about it. There is no experience where you, you've had that you were not at the absolute center of it. The world as you experience it is there in front of you or behind you or to the left or right of you on your TV or your monitor or whatever. Other people's thoughts and feelings have to be communicated to you somehow, but your own are immediate, urgent, and real. He's saying like everything gets filtered through that. It's a well-worn path of consumerism where even our relationships are disposable when they stop benefiting us. It's a well-worn path of tribalism where the only people you associate with or ride down the path with are those that you agree with. Differences become intolerable. Uniformity, everybody the same. A well-worn path of stereotyping groups, dehumanizing groups in the process. You know, those people from that nationality, from that part of the world, you know, those people. It's a well-worn path of getting the upper hand, holding grudges. It's a well-worn path. If they do evil to you, you overcome it by doing evil to them. There's an artist who has a fascinating art display of matchsticks with people's faces at the top. These are in an art gallery, and uh, they're life-size, so they're six feet tall. You can see each of them burnt out and kind of all over the floor in their little uh, coffins, so to speak. I was just kind of came across this several years ago, and here's what he says. People are like matches, alone, delicate, fragile, helpless, longing for home. You know, the truth is some of you have been riding this well-worn path for years. You're on this well-packed year, packed path. Uh, the patterns of this world is how you have navigated your relationships. You keep riding it even though you keep hitting the same garage time after time after time. Well, I have good news. That's why we're doing this series. Thankfully, there's someone who came along and cut a different path. Here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. What is he saying? He's saying God's mercy restores life together. That's what he's saying. Write that down. That God's mercy, that Jesus cut a different path now the picture of fractured relationships looks like this. 
there is a God and Jesus came for all the things that fractured the relationship between God and I. And that is the very power to heal the things that fracture the relationships with me and others. His body was broken for what was broken. That's what Romans 1 through 11 is all about. And he did this. He did this by doing the opposite of the well-worn pattern of this world. His was not a superficial love, but it was the demonstration of a sacrificial love. That even though he was God, he considered others above himself. He was not full of himself, but the Bible says he emptied himself so others could be full. Instead of a consumer relationship and looking for what was in it for him, Jesus paid the ultimate price so you and I could have a relationship with him. Jesus, book of Ephesians chapter 2 says, knock down all the walls that divide and create tribalism and isolationism. Instead of overcoming evil with evil, Jesus overcame the ultimate evil with the ultimate good. You see, he took a different path. And it's the mercy of God that restores this idea of life together. Which is why Romans 12 says this. Romans 12 says, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, look at this, so key to the rest of our series, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Your bodies, sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. His body, broken for what was broken. Now here's the key. Now my body is a living sacrifice. Or I would even say my body is part of a living sacrifice. What does that mean? How does that play out? Stay with me on this. For just as each of you has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, we, life together, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice to present my body? It's my body belongs to the body of Christ. That's the church. That's the picture of the church. That now the walls that separated us are knocked down. And in Christ, I can have a relationship with God. It is reconciled. And the walls that separate us are smashed. Paul said there is no more Jew nor Greek, male nor female, there's no more rich, poor, black, white. There's no more, no more tribalists. All those walls are knocked down. This is a picture of lives transformed by the mercy of God now sharing life together. Write this down somewhere. The point is this, that the church is a transforming picture. Not transformed, but it is always transforming. We are works in process of restored life together in this broken world. Guys, that's the picture. Life together, the church, is a picture 
of the restored life together in this broken world, transforming. It's our act of worship. When we say yes to Jesus and what he did for us, it restores the relationship that we have with God and our response is an act of worship. He gave his body, so we now give our body as an act of worship. And here's how it plays out. Our body now belongs to his body. And that is the community of people who've said yes to Jesus. Guys, this is transforming. That's the church. The church is not a service you attend. The church is not a building you go to and you decide whether or not you like it or not. But the church is a body that you belong to. The church is a body you belong to once you say yes to Jesus. Contrary to many of our experiences, possibly it stands in contrast to the path or well-worn pattern of life together in our world. Can I give you just several illustrations of how this life together, transformed life together looks? That in this world, and in the pattern of this world, where many people believe God's holding out, and the good life involves God, but it's not found in God, that in the community that is transforming, living this restored life together, we trust God that the good life is found in Him, that He is a good God. That the pattern of this world is about superficial love that measures on likes and retweets and love you, bro, and superficial, on the surface kind of relationships. But in this trans formed community of life together it's found in sacrificial love in a world where the pattern is disposable relationships it's a transformed community where you find devoted relationships in the pattern of this world where it's full of me in the community of transformation it is emptied for others in our world where the pattern is this somehow uniformity in tribalism in the transformed life together. It's found in unity and diversity. In the pattern of this world where the idea even in church is, I love the church service. A lot of people, that's the way they look at church. I, they, they, they determine and evaluate, I love the church service. In the transformed life together, I, I serve the church I love. The pattern of this world where we're trained, we're used to riding down this path to hold on to our grudges and transform life together to extend unusual forgiveness. The pattern of this world where it's like overcome evil with evil. They hit you, you hit them twice. This transform life together, we're going to overcome evil with good. That sounds like a different experience. This kind of life together is an act of worship is what Paul is saying. It is something that happens as an act of worship as we allow our minds to be renewed following Jesus down the path that he cut. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you've ever heard of him, he wrote an incredible book called Life Together. He said this, he said, Christian community is not an ideal which we must realize. A lot of people have an idea like, this is what I want to find in a church, community, whatever. 
And he, and he says, actually, people who have that are going to kill community. But he says, it's not an ideal, must realize. It's rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more we recognize that the ground, strength, and promise of our fellowship is in Jesus alone, the more serenely we will think, pray, and hope for it. In Christ, we belong to each other. You see, here's what I know. I still like to sled ride. I'm a grandpa. I still like to sled ride. When I think back to as a kid walking up that hill, I can remember my dad, even in his older years, liked to sled ride. And I remember as a kid my dad going up that hill with us, and I remember him watching as that well-worn path ran right into that garage. He was there the day I ran into the garage. I can remember walking up that path and watching my dad as he tried to cut a different path. He went off to the right into this huge field that went forever. I remember I thought he was crazy because when he first started, it took a lot of work and he had to keep going and he kept coming back up and going and I'm like, man, we're flying, having a blast. We just try run, you know, running into the garage occasionally. So eventually my dad had that path cut. He had done the work. And he said, Dan, why don't you join me? And I remember jumping on that toboggan with him and away we went. We went around the garage into a field to places I had never been sled riding before. You see, here's what I know. When it comes to life together, there was somebody who climbed a hill and did all the work, and he cut the path. And his name was Jesus. And his invitation is for us to jump on board with him places we've never been before. What would happen if we took him at his word? We might, we might just experience life together unlike anything that we've ever experienced before. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you love us and thankful that Jesus died on the cross for us. God, I pray that you would help us as we lean in and listen, that you would transform our understanding of what you picture for the church of Jesus Christ. I'm praying you would challenge us. I pray that you would change us. And I'm praying for some of my friends watching this right now. Some I've met, some I haven't. God, I pray that this would be an opportunity for them to engage in what your desire for us is what the longing of our heart even bends toward. We're going to trust you in that journey. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.